0: Levels check for Annihilation Podcast. Annihilation Podcast levels. Welcome to Unreal Beasts. This is your captain speaking. We will soon be reaching our cruising altitude of 39,000 words per hour. In this episode about a modern sci-fi classic featuring guest Aaron. Content warning that we briefly discuss issues of self-harm as pertains to the plot, and this movie is generally quite violent. I have broken this episode into two parts to keep things at a reasonable length, and I hope you're enjoying this new interpretation of our theme music by friend of the podcast, Joe. On a sound quality front, you may hear some minor echo of my voice in Aaron's audio track. I've done my best to scrub that out with a filter, but placing the filter too high meant eating into Aaron's actual voice, so we tried to strike a balance. The end result, I think, is perfectly listenable. With that, thanks for traveling on Unreal Beast Airlines. The weather at your destination is looking fine.
1: There we go, started. Now, you don't have to keep that, but it's just your part when you're editing that you get to match Oh, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's how the pros do it.
0: Thank you for the tip.
1: Yeah, lead us in.
0: Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of Unreal Beasts. This is Ben speaking, and I would be flying solo today because we are sans David, who is in the midst of his prenuptial extravaganzas. But we are joined today by our friend Aaron, whom we met at Cal Academy of Sciences. And Aaron is going to be joining this pod today to help discuss the wonderful and very dark sci-fi film, Annihilation. So welcome, Aaron. Hello. Good to see you, Ben. Good to see you too. Aaron, we like sci-fi. Sci-fi is a cool thing in our lives. We do, we do. What credentials do you bring to the sci-fi conversation? So the audience knows the types of skills and experiences that you're bringing to the table today.
1: Oh my gosh, that's a big question. Um, Well, there's a lot of different things. I guess, you know, on paper, my most notable credential is that I'm an astrophysicist. So that stands out. Um, But like more practically, I have been a sci-fi nerd since I was a wee lad, which probably led to the astrophysics nonsense that I do now more. With more of my time. Um, When I was a kid, I uh, was really into uh, a number of sci-fi series. Stargate was my jam. Uh, Watched that when it started on Showtime back in 95, 96. Could have been 97. Uh, All the way until they moved to Sci-Fi Channel and just like was into it. Uh, But I've also just, you know, like uh, really into science fiction TV shows and movies and stories, video games, for as long as I can remember. So I guess those are my bona fides.
0: And they're awfully good ones. Because today, the movie that we're going to talk about, it doesn't involve any prehistoric creatures, hence the Unreal Beast banner that this one is under. But it does involve a whole lot of other types of interesting creatures, and it kind of blends a lot of different themes and styles from movies that were from the sci-fi's past in my opinion so it draws upon some of the body horror elements of something like the thing for example Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but also has this kind of slow burn quality that i associate with something like 2001 but it brings it into this new era with incredibly vibrant effects and a cast of really good actors that i think sometimes act very well sometimes maybe not quite as much but (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's so this is uh, i rewatched before um we started talking here and uh, i think this is the third time that i've seen it mm-hmm. and one of the things that i was focusing on was um more individually rather than just broadly what the story was like what are the individual characters and how are they being portrayed yeah and um i think they all do a good job but some of their characters are just meant to be very low-key and sort of like un excitable yeah so I think they did great. It's just that they didn't have a whole lot to do.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, and I think that's something that is evident as well in the series of books, which I read a couple summers ago, that are vaguely similar to the movie, but really not that similar. And I think that the director elected not to read the books prior to working on this film, so it wouldn't be too affected if I'm remembering correctly. But that's just something I read a couple years back. But I think today maybe what we could do is just quickly establish the general plot of what goes on in this movie, and then we can really get into the details of all the themes that are really interesting, I think, and thought-provoking that makes this one of my favorite sci-fi movies of the last several years.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it starts off uh, just setting the scope for you. Uh, Natalie Portman uh, has a husband who's been gone for a while, and then he's not uh and she's like whoa hey you're here but he seems a little bit off a little bit weird
0: yep and very then weird
1: suddenly <laughs> i mean you know he's isaac uh, oscar isaac with a uh southern accent so that's going to set you off in a weird key just from the start yeah uh but then they get whisked away to a government facility and see this monstrous shimmering wall uh, and they take a journey inside to figure out what's going on with this shimmer. How is it related to what's going on with uh, the husbands? And uh, they realize that uh, things get pretty weird once you go beyond the shiny wall.
0: Absolutely. It's a team of all women that go in because prior teams have been either entirely men or mostly men. I think perhaps entirely men.
1: I listened for that bit, um, and uh, the main character, Natalie Portman's character, names are lost on me, but her character actually points out, like, oh, all women. And they didn't explicitly say if the previous teams had all been men or not. They just sort of said, like, yeah, all scientists.
0: Oh, yeah, Um, okay.
1: And that was was the thing that had stood out, is that most of the teams before that had been military, and so Mm -hmm. their team was composed primarily of scientists. And the way they played that, they almost made it seem like the the aspect of it being a team of women was incidental which Mm. i thought was interesting but yeah the cast is almost entirely women uh oscar isaac and uh benedict wong are the only dudes who are hanging about there i think
0: yeah so oscar isaac his character is the only person or the only thing to ever come out of the shimmer after going in so he's really notable but he's in a very very poor state so Natalie Portman's character Lena has a lot of incentive to go and figure out what's going on. She studies cancer. She's a biologist. And in the book series, the characters actually don't get names. They only have titles. So it's just really? it's just the biologist, Bio. psychologist, the anthropologist, oh. etc. So they it's an intentional thing to sort of depersonalize them because they almost become even more dissociated from their own selves as they go into this as we'll talk about but i think that that would be a little bit far perhaps or a little bit too strange for this type of movie setting so they give them all regular names but
1: well i think there's even a little bit of that um vagueness in here because one of the things that i noticed this time around is that when oscar isaac shows up um at uh lena's door um he is wearing the same clothes that he was on the day that Uh he left right and you can see from the footage uh, when uh, that iteration of uh, his character uh, is brought into the world, uh, he's not wearing those clothes. Mm. So it's almost like she is seeing the version of him that she remembers. Uh-huh. And I couldn't quite figure out because when she's talking with him, he doesn't have any memories before he was standing at the door. She asks him, like, you know, what do you remember? Right. He says, I remember seeing a doorway and seeing you. Mm-hmm. So I think there's little bits of like the character's interpretation and memory that's thrown in there, which is also a little bit later into the movie. When they're in the Shimmer, they enter into an abandoned house and uh, the house is very clearly the exact same house that Natalie Portman's character starts the movie off in. Right. And they... They lingered just long enough for you to like remember like, wait a minute, is that the same yeah. like stairway and dining room as her house?
0: That was actually pretty confusing when I was watching it for this second time because I was thinking like, wait, there's no way. Yeah, there's totally a way. And then I was just trying to understand the sequence of events that had happened prior to that because what's going on with the shimmer is that we see at the beginning of the movie essentially like some extraterrestrial impactor come in And strike a lighthouse and then the shimmer just grows and grows and the explanation that we get from the scientists who are in this base sending people in is that it's growing and growing growing they can't seem to contain it or stop it so you know they're going in to figure out what the hell is going on before it just engulfs everything so they're going in there all of these different characters all these women have sort of different motivations but one thing one thread they have in common is that they either have something sort of terminal about their existence or they feel like they either have something to prove to themselves but aren't afraid to risk death or just kind of are going in almost expecting not to come back because you know most people don't come back so everyone has the skeleton in their closet and lena's is that she was having an affair while oscar isaac's character was off on all sorts of missions and she knows that he knew about it and then went off on this mission. So Mm -hmm. he seems to have been so kind of dejected by that finding that he was willing to do something that he never otherwise would put himself at risk for.
1: That, I think um, that was one of the things that I keyed into is trying to figure out like, you know, what are the motivations of people that are here? Because that was reflecting the movie when I saw it two years back um was one of the things that stood out it's like okay you know um uh, as we get or not even as the story progresses because it's the first scene yeah. the first scene that you get <laughs> yeah. and i want to hear your opinion on this framing device too is uh. her sitting in a lab talking with benedict wong in a full hazmat suit uh-huh. um very clearly uh we were at the end of the story yeah. after she had gotten out of the encounter um so you know from the beginning like okay she's going to make it out. Right. So um she as far as we can tell is the only person besides Osh- Oscar Isaac's character Kane. sort of Kane is uh, his name. Cain, that's right. Yeah. I should yeah. start using the real
0: names. <laughs> so uh,
1: she besides Cain sort of is the only person who's made it out of the shimmer. Right. Um and uh, at some point he asks her like you know why why did you make it out uh, when no one else has. And her answer is um that she had to get back out. Right. um, Implying that she had to go back and see Kane again. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that I was paying attention to is like, all right, what is everyone who has gone into the Shimmer's mindset and motivation? And one of the lines they give you is that uh, when Ventress is introducing uh, what they know about the Shimmer to her, um, they said that someone from the park service had gone into the lighthouse when it first happened and never came out again. So after that person went in, we don't know anything about, Mm -hmm. everyone going into the the Shimmer um, after that knows that anyone else who has gone in has not returned. Right, And so it seems like the people who would volunteer for that mission from the very start until the point that we get to are all going to be people that have that little bit of annihilation in them, (laughs) that have that willingness to go on a mission that could um, result in them not coming back. Yes. so. She's the only one who was going in for a purpose that needed her to be back
0: out. Yes, and that plays a huge role in the way that she acts throughout the movie and perhaps gives her a bit of an edge that allows her to tap into some deep sort of survival instinct that allows her to sort of emerge, I suppose, but Mm -hmm. you mentioned Dr. Ventress. Dr. Ventress is played by Jennifer Jason Lee and Dr. Ventress is the psychologist who's sort of in charge of putting all these teams together. Her ostensible motivation is that she sent all these teams and assembled them. They all go in, they never come out, and that's weighing on her. It's time for her to go, too. But she is played so flat that it's almost... It's like kind of distracting. Like she's yeah. total monotone. Does not really seem like an actual human being. I mean, everything she says is like, "That's the shimmer. We're going in <laughs> now. Grab your supplies." And I was like, you "Wow, know- this is a lot. This is pretty, pretty out there." Yeah. She, she
1: does do some effort with it. Like the, the <laughs> conversation she's having with Lena, um, she's talking about the shimmer and she has that distracted quality. She's also just like looking at her fingers and just like staring off in the distance. Yeah. And she was the one, one of the ones that I was paying close attention to through most of the movie. She does stuff to show that disaffectedness. Mm-hmm. Like there's a moment, um, early on when they get into the shimmer where one of the team is attacked by, uh, a mysterious monster who ends up being uh, a strange alligator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's initially like pulled into this, uh, abandoned house and like dragged into the water. And Lena runs in, uh, and jumps into the water to help her out. And Ventress just sort of stands there. Yeah. Like I actually, I went back and I rewatched a couple of times to see what she was doing. Like they see, um, Josie pulled into the house mm-hmm. and Ventress like stands up and sort of like goes, huh? And looks <laughs> off to the side. And then she, sort of jogs up just very relaxedly and then just watches is what's going on is happening there. And so it seems very clear that she is totally disconnected um, from reality. She's disassociated. Uh, And I think part of it is, you know, the reason that she gives Lena is that she sent all these people in and no one's come back. And so that weighs on her. But um, they also mention that um, she has cancer and presumably it's terminal cancer. Yeah. Um, And so she just, like, has the sensibility about her that, like, uh, you know, nihilism is the way to go. And all she cares Mm -hmm. about is just finding the answer to this question. Yeah. Which also leads up to the very end of the movie. Um, One of the other things that I noticed here, uh, and we'll just dive right into the very end because it doesn't make sense otherwise, uh, is that um, it seems like there is an intentionality in control of what's going on that people have based off of their personality. And this is my interpretation of what's going on. So I'm curious if you have a different one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's most obvious when uh, Josie, uh, after uh, they have a bad run in with a terrible skull bear. (laughs) um, Yeah. She just sort of says like, you know what Um, you, and she's talking to Lena, you want to fight this thing. Ventress wants to figure out what it is. Um, And I don't want either of those things. I don't want to fight. I don't want to die. I just want to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's a character that's established a little bit earlier on that she um, has lots of cuts along her arm. Uh, They speculate that she was trying to feel alive by doing it. And she's always wearing long sleeve shirts throughout the whole movie to hide those. Yeah. Uh, and in this scene, her final scene, um, she is wearing a tank top so that you can clearly see right. just the yeah. dozens and dozens of uh, scars all along her arms. Mm-hmm. And as she's there, um, she starts to have uh, sprouts growing out from her. Yeah, And it seems like her mindset and her um, personality at that point has sort of like mediated where... Uh, the effects from the shimmer are going it's almost as if like she chose like this is what i want to do yeah and this is responding into yeah yeah i agree and so Ventress, i don't understand quite what happens with her despite this being (laughs) the third maybe fourth time i've seen this Uh, yeah
0: oh man i think uh yeah what is that yeah i i think uh I, I'm really excited to talk about that, but I think I'm going to build the suspense to that just a tad bit longer, ah. just a tad bit, just so we can give a, a sense of like the arc that leads to that point, but I'll do it in quick microwave dinner fashion so it doesn't drag on too long. But they go into the Shimmer, the team goes into the Shimmer. It's very mm-hmm. disorienting. They don't know how long they've been there. They're trying to judge it by their supplies. They see all sorts of interesting living things that are chimeras of living things that you might normally expect to see blends of different organisms, there are deer that have flowers growing from their antlers, there's this alligator that attacks them that has rows of teeth like a shark, all sorts of things that shouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. And-,
1: and they explicitly, uh, Lena's character explicitly says, like, in that scene with the alligator, they have lots and lots of plants growing along the dock. Mm-hmm. And she goes, like, you know, you would expect these all to be different species by looking at them, but they're growing from the same vine. Yes. Like branch yeah. structure. So they have to be the same species. And then when they yep. look at the alligator's teeth, they're like, those look like shark teeth. Do you think they're a crossbreed? And she very explicitly says, like, you can't crossbreed <laughs> different species. That doesn't happen. Yeah.
0: It certainly nice does guys. in yep. here. and But here not only something. is it crossbreeding species, but their kind of overall interpretation is that the shimmer is kind of like a prism through which genetics and it seems even mindsets are bent and shaped into all sorts of new forms. And it's very creative. It's like this whole area is combining and mixing and blending and sticking things together with silly putty in ways that would never ordinarily be possible. And there are lots of really awful things that it's generating, but it's not on purpose. It's just is. So there are also lots of gorgeous things that you would never see. But because it is mixing all these things together and preying upon people's minds as well, as they're in there so anxious about what they're gonna find, they stumble across video footage from the past crew, including Kane, that shows the inside of somebody's guts just moving around like a bunch of worms. And then he ends up turning into a big mushroom person that's plastered to a wall. So there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. They're attacked by vicious chimera creatures like this skull bear that rips the throat out of one of the characters and then melds with her, not only her voice, but I think my interpretation was because that skull bear goes for the throat, it specifically incorporated her vocalisms so Mm. when that thing comes back and hunts them again it confuses the team particularly Anya Anya who's Gina Rodriguez's character because the bear is yelling as if it is Cass who is their crew member that was killed by it earlier sounding like it's saying help me it turns out it's just the bear that has like incorporated her in her most in the throes of death which is so scary
1: yeah, and that's um, when uh, Lena and uh, Benedict Wong's character, uh, I don't know if he ever got a name or not. I don't think, I he, don't did. think he did. I don't yeah. think he did. So in the credits, he has a name. Um, mm. I don't remember what it is. Lomax. Yeah. Lomax. Lomax, yeah. But in <laughs> the in the context of the actual movie, he's just never named.
0: Yeah, shop at um, Lomax for your best prices.
1: <laughs> all your uh, hazmat suits are <laughs> All, half all PPE,
0: here. half off. <gasps> uh so he
1: you know she's sort of going over um basically what you just said and he responds sort of like oh so these things are just you know twisted into nightmares just like not always like sometimes it was beautiful yeah and it's that idea of like you know this is just a force of nature that is causing this prismatic effect to happen and there's not really uh a drive to it it's just a thing that exists in this world now yeah uh, and i think that's one of the interesting things is that you know you just see all these wild effects like uh, probably the most spectacular is when she finally gets to the beach and is walking along it you see these trees that are formed out of what looks like crystal or glass yeah it's beautiful which uh i think is the silicon in the sand that is taken oh, on the form nice. of the trees
0: that are there oh right? that's a that's a good shout i didn't think of that
1: yeah oh that's and then, neat. so they they established that idea a little bit earlier um, when Josie's character is talking about they see these plants that are in the form of people. Mm-hmm. And so she speculates that, you know, the uh, instructions in DNA that give form to different things, mm-hmm. you know, the reason we have Hawks arms genes. and legs. Hawks genes, yeah. This is this is the part of biology that is way above my <laughs> pay grade. Um, but she uh, she speculates that the plants have adapted uh, those genes from humans and uh-huh. are guiding their forms. Yeah. And so... Even uh, largely inorganic matter, I guess, like silicon, is able to take on that adaptation and start to shift and change.
0: It seems like it. And it's an interesting observation from Josie, who's played by Tessa Thompson. I'm slowly filling in all the cast cast yeah. gaps yeah. retroactively, but that's fine. Because I, she's a physicist, but she goes and talks to Lena, and she says, I guarantee you, you test this plant, it's going to have human hox genes. Mm -hmm. And one thing that Mm -hmm. Lena's doing every now and again is she's taking a look at her own Self under the microscope testing her blood and she can see that the shimmer is in her because Her cells are replicating in that shiny beautiful way. That means She's not going to escape this without being affected by the shimmer. So they're they're all in it Deep they can't really escape this process and it's affecting everyone differently. Gina Rodriguez's character Anya starts to get really mentally tormented by all the things that she's seeing. And also they discover that Lena has been hiding the fact that Kane is her husband and that she has this ulterior motive for being in the shimmer. And that kind of starts to deconstruct the group from the inside. Anya ends up tying everybody up and kind of interrogating everyone. And that's when that evil skull bear comes again and ends up killing her and
1: was it an evil skull
0: bear or, or, the, or just a hungry, hungry skull, skull, bear? skull bear the hungry yelling like a human being very scary skull bear and you know i genuinely forgot from the first time i saw it how absolutely brutal some of these deaths are
1: yeah wow that was that was something that i caught this time too holy um, cow i was i think yeah i think when i saw it before i was just like taken in by the moment but the the shock of it had faded away, so I was paying more attention. Was like, oh, he just like knocked her jaw off of for the rest of her body completely. yeah, that and is... they just show it.. Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are not pulling any punches. But that sets up finally the situation that you were alluding to that is so fascinating, and we're here now, which is that it's just Lena and the psychologist, the psychologist, uh, Dr. Ventris has gone ahead of Lena going to the lighthouse, which is the source of this initial situation.
1: Yeah, at this point, so the team was five people, um, and two of them got taken out by the skull bear. Uh, and one of them has turned into flowers, maybe?
0: One of them has turned into flowers, it seems. Oh. Yeah. She has become one with the flowers. Um But all sorts of weird stuff has been happening to the whole crew. I mean, like, Anya's fingerprints were moving and disappearing mm-hmm. on her hands. So like they're all being affected deeply, but Ventress yeah. and uh and, uh... and uh, what's her name? Lena. Lena Lena. seemed to be, you know, mentally functional enough to continue on this journey.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, they were both strongly driven to make it to the lighthouse to figure out what's going on. Yes. That's, that's their ultimate goal in mind. And, uh, I think for the rest of the team, they, um, you know, after, um, uh, Cass is taken off by the bear. Um, the rest of the team is willing to like head backwards uh, yes. and leave uh and Ventress is very much laser focused we're getting to the lighthouse We're figuring out what this is I'm going you can come with me or you can you can leave uh and
0: and for the final, uh, final uh, retroactive part. fill-in Cass is yeah. an anthropologist played by Tuva Novotny. so base is oh, covered, covered
1: now she was an anthropologist I missed that yeah well
0: yeah. I actually don't yeah. think it was that important in the movie as it was in the book and they're also portrayed Mm -hmm. quite differently which i won't get into but i recommend the series of three books by jeff vandermeer i thought they were pretty excellent and explain a lot more about what's going on for better and for worse i don't always think it's a good thing to explain more i
1: think this is uh you know one of the better adaptations that i've seen in a long time because it did the thing that you're supposed to do adapted the ideas in the story and made its own story yes totally and there's there's a lot of really cool things where it gets you considering and thinking about what the implication of what's going on is. And it gives you just enough to like get you wondering, but it very rarely like explicitly states things. Yeah. even the way the movie plays out, you know, we're talking about, um, what, uh, Josie's interpretation of what's going on. is like the hopsteins. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's just what they think. Yeah. Like they don't know what's going on for sure. She goes into more detail about the radios they have. Um, when they get inside all their comms equipment doesn't function. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, you know, I thought it was just like killing the signal, but it's not. It's scrambling it because <laughs> it's acting like a prism and it's right. refracting the light coming through. Right. And one of the really cool things, um, which uh is obvious, but also there's even cooler stuff going on if you're paying attention, is that while they're in the shimmer, there's this constant lens flare in like every shot, or there's different rainbow patterns that you can see. Mm-hmm. And that is the action that the prison, that the shimmer is doing is it's having that prismatic effect and it's spreading the light out as it's refracting it. You also see it in a couple of different places. So when uh, uh, Lena is looking at the cells, I think there's two scenes where she's looking at cells. Yep. The first it's not clear what the cells are. I think it was probably, she took a sample from the, like exploded mushroom guy who was on the last uh, team (laughs) and she sees the cells there when they replicate the new cell that's formed uh, is got this shimmering quality to it. It is some part of the shimmer. And that's what you were talking about. When she uh, jabs herself in the arm, tests her blood, she sees that her cells when they're replicating are part of the shimmer uh, or they had that shimmering quality to them. So um, when, They are in the shimmer, everything seems to take on that aspect. One of the early scenes in the movie, uh, when uh, her husband is sitting at the table talking to her, and you know, he's in this really weird state, and you can tell something's off about it. Yeah, uh, he takes a sip of a glass of water, and when he sets it down, there's a whole bunch of his blood that ends up inside the glass. Uh Before that happens, they focus a lot on the glass. There's several scenes with them, like, sort of holding hands, interlocking. Uh, and from like the film part of it, I think it's doing something interesting because you're seeing them reflected through that glass, and it's making it difficult to figure out who is who. Right. So it's like the reflection is obscuring the identity of what you're seeing. <laughs> uh, but after he takes the sip and the blood filters into the glass, you see this solid line of uh, rainbow. It's, it looked... As a physicist, it looked to me like uh, it was a specter of something, like you were oh, seeing cool. some sort of an atomic spectrum. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> It is a continuous specter, so I couldn't identify any different elements in it. But um, it's his blood in the glass that makes that effect happen. So wow. it's almost as if, like, his blood itself is the remnant of the shimmer that's there, and you can see yeah. that. Yeah,
0: that that's awesome. The end of the movie too. Yeah, I've got to yeah, say that, that it never actually feels overbearing, despite the mm-hmm. fact that there are basically like prismatic or shimmer references or effects constantly. But I think that helps you feel immersed in this world where this is just what happens to literally everything. And even when things emerge from that world, they take that with them. And that's an awesome observation and also something that we'll come back to towards the very end of of the plot. But But we finally have Lena walking into the lighthouse, and what she finds is this burnt-up corpse of somebody sitting there, and there's a video camera across inside the lighthouse. And it's like it's one of those things where you're like, don't watch the tape, don't watch the tape, don't watch the tape. But she's She's got to watch the tape. She's got to figure out what happens. She's got to watch the tape. Aaron, what happens on the tape?
1: Uh, She sees her husband uh, there, and he seems a little bit disheveled. Uh, he's talking at first to what looks like to the camera, saying that uh, he doesn't know who he is anymore. He thought he was Cain, but he doesn't know if he's Cain or if someone else is Cain. And he... Uh,
0: I thought I was a man. <laughs> People call me Kane. Uh, I, I love
1: this movie, but his accent is just not what I wanted to hear throughout it. He only has a few lines. It's just like, oh, man. Oh, it's bad. But... Um, he uh, seems to uh, be overwhelmed by just what's going on what's going on in his head and he seems done with it. So he picks up a phosphorus grenade and pulls the pin and the the charred corpse uh, is in fact, unfortunately, uh, Lena's husband. Yes. And as that happens, uh, you hear a voice from behind the camera uh, because his last words are, if you get out of here, find Lena and then you hear from a little distance. I will. <laughs> and after uh, her husband has been charred to a crisp, uh, another copy of her husband wanders in front of the yep. camera. Yeah. And like turns around really unnaturally, almost to be like, hey, look, it's me. Right. Um, right. But uh, she realizes that the version of Cain that came back to her is this copy.
0: Copy clones? Unclear.
1: Yeah. And after that, uh, she hears some whispers from Ventress and uh, journeys further into the depths of the lighthouse. Yeah,
0: so one of the really interesting things in the book that is not a spoiler is that there's a lot of argument as to whether to call where this shimmer began the tower, even though it's underneath the lighthouse. So they don't go into that terminology. It's very controversial in the book, but it's a lighthouse that's tall and beacony, but where the source of this situation is lying is is actually in this tunnel underneath the lighthouse that's it's like growing with strange organic looking root-like protrusions but inside of the tunnel it looks a little bit more mechanical it almost looks like you're inside of some kind of metal creation but it still has this organic vibe to it. it it something is kind of uncanny valley relative to a tunnel that you'd see from like a mammal or something. There's something a little bit too geometric about it. And is
1: this uh how it was described in the book or Are you talking about what No, was in, on? The film. Oh, in the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it feels in the way that that tunnel is spread out there, it has that like geometric like symmetrical quality mm-hmm. to it. Uh and there's a, a strange platform in the middle of it. Yeah. It seems almost like it it doesn't feel like something that would naturally occur necessarily like it seems like it's engineered but when i think that i also think to like different structures like those uh, i think they're like basalt columns oh yeah kilometer big hexagons yeah yeah. yeah and when i see those i'm like oh those aren't natural yeah but they are they are it's totally just, it's a it's a part of nature that i don't encounter very frequently that seems unusual but is in fact just normal yeah and so i look at that and go like this feels like weird and unnatural but Whatever this thing is, it is a part of nature, and it's just a part that I'm not familiar with.
0: Yeah, that very well could be. I, I Maybe I thought, like, is it is the shimmer mimicking some aspect of the lighthouse itself that it initially mm. collided with? But it doesn't really seem very apparent. But in the middle of that platform, we see Ventress kind of. How would you describe what Ventress looks like or is acting like in this moment?
1: So she seems to be just like saying something off in another world. And uh, it's filmed in such a way that like you see, it's clearly her and you see the shape of her body and she leans up for just a second or two. And you see that her face is mostly featureless. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird metallic shimmery surface. Um, And it looks very bizarre. And when, um, Uh, Lena was looking over at the footage that she found that showed what happened to her husband. Uh, There's uh, a couple of bursts of him crawling into that tunnel and looking inside. Yeah. And when he goes in, you see him crawling through. You see him looking at a very strange geometric sort of figure in the center glowing with this weird orifice. Uh, And for a moment, he turns around and he sees a human-like figure standing outside of the tunnel. And so uh, it looks like whatever is going on with Ventress, it's the same deal with her is that she has that characteristic about her, this like face or shapeless, um, weird shimmer face. But then when Lena calls out to her and she turns over, it's just her normal face.
0: Yeah. I, I would say that this scene is the most confusing to me in the movie in terms of just trying to interpret Mm -hmm. what's happening because it seems almost to be like a unique occurrence potentially but she's kind of waxing lyrical about some philosophical stuff and she starts to sort of explain what it is that this shimmer is like it's she's just saying like it it has no will it's just annihilation
1: yeah it, it doesn't want it's just going to expand and grow um... yeah indefinitely and then
0: you know that's when she says the title of the movie that's where you get the csi miami like you put on the sunglasses there's some really funny like youtube compilations of like movies that say the title of their own movie and then it cues some hilarious thing
1: which is beautiful because for the whole movie, she's had almost no affect to her. And that, that one moment where she says the title, she gets a little little bit of something exciting in her voice.
0: Yeah, well, that's good because she's about to regurgitate molten alien goo or God knows what and just so, destroy herself, it seems.
1: That's my question is that when Lena sees her, is that the original version of Ventress? Is that the this alien entity, whatever it is, that has taken on her form and she has died already? Is she devoured by it? Is she, like, encompassed by it? What happened to her?
0: I don't know. I think, like, this is where the can you choose your destiny in the Shimmer thing comes in. I think with Mm -hmm. her sort of going in knowing that she has a terminal illness, if we buy that people have some agency in deciding their fate in the Shimmer, it seems like she came in, she learned what she needed to learn, but she, it's an overwhelming thing to understand. And then her purpose is sort of fulfilled. She's come in and she's she understands it as well as it could be. And then it just, it's time for her to be destroyed. And that's how I interpreted it as a unique occurrence in the sense that she came in, she kind of interfaced with the Shimmer headquarters it became part of her, she became part of it, and then she was just ripped to shreds by that knowledge, almost like the creature in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that like <laughs> knows way too much and just becomes overwhelmed. But that's just, that's her journey is over at that point. But what's interesting is that we have Kane who got a mimic, and then now we have mm-hmm. Lena, Natalie Portman's walking up after this amazing spectacle of her destruction, of Ventress's destruction. Yeah.
1: Well, so one of the things that Ventra says is she's describing what this thing is. Mm-hmm. And one of the final bits she says is that it's going to uh, refract us. Uh, and I think she said, like, break down um, our parts into their individual elements until we're nothing but, you know, the individual components that make us up. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then as she finishes her little monologue, she uh like vomits up a sky beam of light into the cave. Right. uh, And then they're (laughs) surrounded by all these little bits of whatever was inside of her as her body disintegrates. And it looks almost like, uh, you know, Lena sees one little orb fly by her that breaks into two. And so it's like, oh, these are the cells of her that are the individual components that have been refracted by this thing.
0: Yeah, it's like she disintegrates into like corpuscles.
1: And so maybe that's part of like the... You know the each character's motivation and thoughts driving what's happening there is that she integrates with the entity to understand it right and when she realizes like what it is doing uh-huh. like she fast forwards to that process and right. just breaks down her body into those components.
0: yeah I, that's as good an explanation as plausible as I've ever heard and, <laughs> and I I do I, like I, that element of mystery and of just inexplicable things happening within yeah. reason because it makes it thought-provoking and fun to come back to. But it is basically like a unique occurrence in the sense that now there's this billowing pseudo-metallic, almost looking like the Terminator 2 sort of metal. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, it's also got like that... Have you ever seen like a, a simulation of what a um, four- or five-dimensional object looks like?
0: I have not. The only explanation of four dimensions that I've seen is Carl Sagan's describing... <laughs> Um, Flatland and how you see like, you could see like higher dimensional cross sections in your dimension.
1: And like with that, you know, you're seeing these cross sections and they look almost nonsensical to you because you can't envision what the the higher form is. Right. Uh, if you know, you or whoever's listening um, looks up like uh, visualizations of four or fifth dimensional objects. Uh, it has a very similar effect to what's going on with this is that it's sort of like moving and sh- uh, shifting and changing form in ways that look sort of like incomprehensible or impossible, mm-hmm. and to me, I'm sort of like, "Oh, is this like something that exists in a different set of dimensions, and we're only seeing aspects of it from moment to moment that seem huh. to be changing?" But you know, I would never have thought again, of that. So that's really interpretation. cool. Interpretation. Yeah. Well, hey, that's yeah. that's why you got me here with all my sci-fi
0: nonsense. Yeah. No, that's cool. To- I think that. I- I was approaching like my thoughts about it from sort of a biology standpoint mostly and mm-hmm. hearing something like that. It's just never something that would ever occur to me. So it's super cool. That's
1: why they brought a physicist on their team. That's
0: true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. If only she didn't turn into plants. Hey,
1: you know, she, she went out uh, as uh, she's the only one who died in a peaceful way. That's true. If that's even death, maybe she, her consciousness exists as little uh, petunias there in the field. Yeah.
0: Then we have the Um, critical critical climax here where Lena is looking uh, into this billowing metallic amazing structure before her. It starts to sort of like suck in her essence. But by that, just like her sweat and then eventually like a drop of blood goes in. And the second that happens, something shifts. It starts to form a bipedal creature that is... Ostensibly a mimic of herself, but it's not evident well, they, from the beginning. They
1: show, they show what's going on though, is that the drop of blood that she's got from a cut on her nose uh, heads towards the the thing, and you see a zoom in of the cells that are inside the blood replicating, right? Yeah. And it sort of shows them like amplifying that, going faster and faster yeah. until it pulls back out, and you see this formless figure that's there. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things that, like, trying to figure out what's going on in the movie, I think I understand. of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But she sees this figure and freaks out and starts to run her way back to the top of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And when she gets back to the top, the figure has teleported back to the main room of the lighthouse, which we haven't really seen any examples of that at any other point, besides maybe the fact that um, uh, her husband doesn't seem to have any memory of how he got to her doorway. Right. So, Did he get teleported to her?
0: Wow, I did not think about that either. Holy crap. I just thought it was like some weird shimmer amnesia that these mimics have because they only have memories of very specific things. Because how would he have walked out, walked straight Mm -hmm. past all the other government people and gotten to her door in the first place? Mm-hmm, it makes no mm-hmm. sense. I did not think of that. The only thing I was going to say is maybe because the shimmer is so disorienting, even though it seems like everything's happening in real time here, that there could be an aspect of like, she could have been crawling around that tunnel for God knows how long before she emerged in and then found herself there lucid again. But
1: yeah, and that's, that's one of the things that they're talking about when she's being interviewed um, by Benedict Wong is, you know, he's like, how long did you think you were in there? She said like a couple of days, maybe a week. And he tells you that she's been in there for four months. Wow. So like whatever's going on inside, their perception of time um, is warped. And there's a little bit to like he asks her um, what she ate. And she mentions that she doesn't remember eating any food. Mm. And the very end of the movie is she's having her final bit of the conversation with him. uh, She takes uh, a sip of a glass of water and it almost seems as if like, the action of drinking water has some significance to it. Yeah. Cause yeah. that was the trigger that made, uh, her husband, um, start to, uh, I don't know if we said it explicitly, but when she sees him in the very beginning of the movie, he takes a sip of the water and then like starts having a seizure and throwing up blood. Yeah. And it seemed like that was the trigger him ingesting water mm. that caused that to happen. Yeah. And she does that at the very end of her conversation with Benedict, uh, Almost like defiantly. Uh Like she's like, yeah, I'm going to drink this water. See, I'm fine. And I didn't quite understand if that was meant to have significance. You know, I
0: was more focused on because you talked about that spectral pattern that Mm -hmm. was on Kane's water glass. I was Mm -hmm. looking for that in Lena's. When she wasn't there, took right? a sip and put it down, it's uh, it like it's, it's a really interesting kind of surface tension-y patterns going on that seem and they're just focusing on it so tightly. I was like, what's there is so much tension just, because mm-hmm. I, I was really invested in Lena being okay, like still being herself, but, but it wasn't clear. And I I do I, love I, that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, she you know she survives the water oh. drink without going into massive internal bleeding, so that's good.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so that's that's one of the bigger, interesting questions is like, you know, the the last line of the movie is she's talking with Kane and she says like, "You aren't Kane, are you?" And he responds and says,
0: I, "I don't think, think I so. am."
1: Yeah. Are you Lena? And she doesn't answer him. Mm-hmm. And I think like you know they're they're grappling with that while they're inside the Shimmer because she realizes that on a cellular level, like her body is changing. Right. Um, she's becoming you know, one of the things they say a couple of times that, you know, the shimmer is not destroying things, but it's changing them. It's making mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. And so while she's there, um, not only is our new things made around her, but like the cells in her body herself is being remade anew. Right. And she has to come to terms with that when uh, her blood falls into this thing and makes this s- s- formless copy of her. Yeah. And once it teleports back up into the lighthouse, there they do a little dance where it seems to be mirroring wow. her motions.
0: What a scene! This is um, I absolutely love this scene. This is my favorite section of the movie. It reminded <laughs> me of like the best parts of like the Hal Nine Thousand stuff in two thousand one. Like it just gives me chills mm. to think about it. Mm-hmm. It was so cool because we have this mimic that doesn't have skin yet. It's just like this silicone looking being and it's walking around mimicking her and all it's doing is mimicking her. But in the mm-hmm. act of doing that, it becomes this dangerous ballet where Lena is desperately trying to get away from this thing and get out. But in doing that, she inadvertently causes the mimic to hurt her basically you know, sometimes For example, as she makes a run for the door, the mimic runs for the door as well and squishes her because it's just doing Mm -hmm. the exact same stuff that she's doing. And it's so evident that it's not trying to kill her, but doing anything and having this thing do it back is creating all these inadvertent and terrible situations where they're all, they're kind of wrestling and scrambling and falling to the ground dramatically in step with one another. It's a gorgeous scene. So different than the rest, in my opinion, but also so poignant and really thought provoking. So I loved this interaction.
1: One of the things that I was keeping track of there is um I think when I first saw it, I assumed that it was just like, you know, perfectly mirroring her um because it was her mirror. But it's but not you're watching it. It's, it's not no, it's not. it's doing it um very imperfectly. Like it's it's trying it's to trying. match it as best it can. And that's when I'm like, okay, we're talking about intentionality. Like, it seems everyone's concluded that this thing doesn't have intention. Right. But it felt like that entity was trying to mimic her and trying to learn from her.
0: Yeah, well, what if it's kind of like some kind of algorithm or like, or like a, I don't know anything about machine learning, but just like, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have a yeah. will per se, but it can still have like a progressive understanding, functional understanding of how things work that is imperfect.
1: So it's it's gathering data and it's sort of like, all right, I need to see you to be able to yeah, see Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. that's maybe what I would say. Yeah. Otherwise it does become awfully similar or something that does seem to have more of a will, but it does have her cells in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just a human thing to try to figure out what's going on and learn from your observations. She's a biologist, bi- she observes everything. That's what she yeah. does. God. And
1: you see her like towards the end of that, because when she runs out and, you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned either is that one of the other interesting aspects of her character is she is a soldier scientist. Yes, she's a ex-military. biologist, but she's ex-military. And so um, Tinker the, Taylor,
0: think, soldier you know, biologist.
1: The, the first part where that really comes out is when they're attacked by the alligator. Yeah. Um, because everyone else is kind of freaking out because there's this huge, uh, it looked to me like an albino alligator Oh, uh, who, who, we, who we know a uh, good friend of those but um, everyone else is kind of like freaked out by this. And she is very like serious when it comes at her, she gets down under her knee to stabilize and just like Mm -hmm. with pure focus does that. And so when she's running out of the lighthouse to escape this thing, uh, her first response is to attack it. And uh, she grabs the tripod that the camera is on and tries to hit the thing with it. And that's the first thing I noticed where the actions aren't mirrored um, because it, gets hit by her, doesn't affect it at all, and then it just smacks her. Mm -hmm. And the actions that both of them did were very different. That's true. But the intention was to attack the other thing that was there. Right, yeah. And when she's being interviewed, she's like, oh, so it attacked you. And she's like, well, not really. Like, I was being aggressive and it was mirroring my aggression. Right. And you see that after, once it pins her up against the door, uh, she uh, loses consciousness for a second and falls down. Yeah. And once she gets back up, I think either like she realized she couldn't fight it or she recognized what was going on. And she's like, Oh, this thing is mirroring me. And her demeanor changes where oh, it's yeah, like drastically. Not not so much as a threat as trying to understand it at that point.
0: Right. Like she was
1: she was tackling it as a thing that she needed to fight, which is what um uh Josie told her earlier, is that like, you know, you wanna fight this thing. And right. after she had that encounter, she was like I can't fight this. I have to understand it to know what it's doing.
0: Yeah, that's a fundamental and, shift that's critical. And I'm really yeah. glad that you're pointing out that that the mirroring wasn't just completely perfect or identical throughout that encounter. Because mm-hmm. even when they do a very slow dramatic fall together, the creature is mirroring her too quickly. Like, it's literally... That's like a... It's the like, timing's wrong. Yeah, the timing is... It's like it would be impossible for it to be looking at her and trying to do the same thing. It, it It's anticipating what the rest of this sequence will look like. Yeah, And I think that's really yeah. neat. So it I just love how it's more messy than just, mm-hmm. oh, it's just literally like a complete mime copy of everything going on precisely. And that's,
1: that's what I thought the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, you know, this is just a function of what this thing does. It, it mimics things. It mirrors them. But um maybe whatever this entity is like when it's trying to mirror something as complex as a living being or a person Mm -hmm. like it has to take on that sort of consciousness Mm -hmm. and it becomes imperfect in the way that it does that yeah which which leads up to the the climax of that which um i have an interpretation sure i want to hear what do you think happens
0: Oh, boy. Okay, so what happens is there's another phosphorus grenade next to Kane's body. I don't know how there's, like, an intact phosphorus grenade there.
1: He he had a bag uh, okay. that was off to the side. You can okay, see when she walks in, he's got, like, his gun and his supplies that he set down. Okay, fair enough. As
0: long yeah. as it's far enough off to the side. So she grabs it, and she says something like, have you ever seen a phosphorus grenade before? Or something to that effect, I think. She does, does she not say that? She no, say that? No, Kane says he, that. He said that Kane when Kane says that. Never mind.
1: You ever seen a phosphorus grenade go off before? <laughs> Never it's mind. It's pretty
0: bright. Scratch that from the record. But, uh, but uh, Lena h- basically holds hands with her mirror and pulls the pin and just kind of like gives it to the creature who just kind of looks at it. But while they're holding hands, she takes on full Natalie Portman. Effect. She becomes a Natalie Ooh. Portmanteau. <laughs> She's full Natalie Portman. And so now there's two, two people that look the same, but one's holding the grenade. And Natalie Portman Natalie then Portman. just kind of waltzes out of the lighthouse while it's contemplating the fact that it's holding this phosphorus grenade.
1: Oh, she doesn't waltz. She books it. She books it. She just yeah. full runs for the door.
0: Yeah. And then yeah. the grenade goes off. And it, this is where it seems like the creature and actually the entire shimmer sort of integrate with the flame, and it starts Mm -hmm. to take over everything, and it's inescapable. It's a very violent death for whatever the shimmer entity is because it's kind of becoming part flame, and that causes this chain reaction, burning, destruction that seems to destroy the core of the shimmer, whatever that may be in the lighthouse. And from that point forward, you can see that, like, all these other shimmer affected things kind of disintegrate um, outside, like those big crystal trees all shatter to the ground. And well, they all catch fire. They catch fire first, fire. you're right. And right. then they just disintegrate, and then the shimmer broadly seems to disappear. Mm-hmm. And Natalie Portman yeah. just then walks away, ostensibly back to the base.
1: You assume we don't see that. We don't yeah, see that. But assumption. yeah,
0: so my interpretation is that it becomes sort of integrated with the f- with the destructive nature of the flame and sort of self-destructs that way. What I don't really understand is why it just kind of stood holding the grenade and just didn't, I don't know. It's no. as if like Natalie play. Portman, it, f- instead of just uh, like Lena was like, oh, I kind of understand now. And in holding hands with you, I'm imparting some, fundamental change again to this interaction in which we don't have to mimic each other anymore. I get it. You get it. I'm going to do something right now and you're going to take it Mm -hmm. because this is my purpose here. And I, I would be really curious to see what you think of what happens there.
1: So this is uh, a bit more abstract, but um, there's a scene earlier in the movie. um, Actually, it's strange too. I noticed this, uh, they have title cards for where they're at. um, I think at three different points in the movie. And as they are uh, walking into the shimmer uh, cuts to black and it says shimmer, you know, it's
0: It said Uh area
1: X when they showed up to the base. Uh And, and when, as soon as they drop that title card, uh, it doesn't go to them. The shimmer, it goes to a memory of her having the affair with someone else Hmm. um, that led. So, Backing up a little bit, internally what's going on in her mind is that she has had an affair with uh, another professor at the university that she works in. Uh, And based off of her interaction with Kane when he leaves to go on his deployment, she assumes that he's figured out that she's had an affair. Um, His demeanor is very different than her earlier memories of him. And while she's in the Shimmer there, you see short snippets of her remembering their time together yeah and it seems like she um is very much uh just like angry at herself sort of like frustrated disgusted um she has like this part of her that she really doesn't want to have yeah and uh w- in that scene where she's with the guy she's having the affair with he says something like, you know, you don't hate me. You hate yourself.
0: Just like, nope, I hate nope. you, too. <laughs> no, yeah, get out. Get out.
1: <laughs> so uh, and you're seeing these flashbacks. And right before she makes it to the lighthouse, um, she has just this very benign memory of them just sitting on the couch reading. Uh, and they like look over to each other and it's like, hey, what's up? How are you? Uh, and then afterwards, it it smash cuts to her stand. This breach just absolutely sobbing and just like crying and screaming at the same time. So I think that she's filled with this like terrible guilt and she has that part of herself that she hates. Yeah. And she is driven. But I think like everyone else, she also has that sense inside of her of annihilation.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And Ventress says it explicitly like, or maybe it's not Ventress. It's um, Cass, I think, who says like, you know, uh, it's not that uh, people are suicidal, but we are all self-destructing in different ways. Right. Um, and so everyone has this drive inside of them that makes them want to destroy the things in their life that are good. Yeah. Um, which they also sort of allude to is like the nature of living things. The cells have built into them this mechanism that causes them to self-destruct right. at some point. Yeah. So my interpretation of that is that she has had this part of her that she, um, hates and that part of her that she wants to self-destruct, that she wants to annihilate. And I think in her communing with this being, she implicitly decided that that thing was the part of her that she wanted to destruct. Yeah. And I guess in their exchange, this is the best I can interpret, is that it accepted that it was that part of her, and Mm -hmm. so it was willing to hold the grenade to destroy itself. And you see that... You see that because after um, she takes on full Lena face uh, and holds the grenade, she catches fire and goes back to like the shimmery um, faceless creature. But like as she's walking around, she's not freaking out because of the fire. She's just sort of like, yeah, I'm on fire. No big deal. And she walks over to Cain. Uh, the Cain, Kane, Charged Cain like remains and sort of sets her hand on it. Um, As if she's, like, embracing him. Yeah. And then it walks very purposefully down into the tunnel um, and starts to, like, spread the fire to the other parts of the tunnel. And like you were saying, uh, it's not clear if what is driving the Shimmer is that space itself or if it's the entity inside of the space. Yeah. And that fire spreads to the tunnel and sort of catches the whole thing. Yeah. So an interesting thought that I'm sort of developing as I'm saying this is... Uh, I know the book goes a lot into the idea of the unreliable narrator, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, you're being read the story, but you don't know if their recollection is truthful or even if they remember what's going on. Yeah. So, I'm wondering, it's very clear in the way the scene is shot that the original Lena is the one who uh, escapes. Mm -hmm. Do we know that's for sure what happened? Or is that the story that the version of Lena that left the Shimmer told, (sighs) and could it have been that the original Lena was the one who felt that feeling of (sighs) self-destruction and decided that she was going to destroy herself with Kane and the Shimmer to accomplish her goal? Yeah,
0: I mean, that is distinctly... Wow. So first of all, all, I think that that interpretation of her electing to impart a section of herself to destroy is great Uh, that makes sense to me in the context of you know there's only so much that we can really know and that's part of the fun of it but I think that that interpretation matches what we saw pretty well in terms of it being a a kind of a switcheroo thing that's kind of um, of... a movie trope that we see many times if you've seen uh, some of the more seen Alien Covenant, which I think is the single worst movie in context.
1: I saw that on my birthday and I was so disappointed. I am so
0: sorry. The single worst movie in context, considering who's directing it, the budget, the actors, I think I've ever seen in my life. But they pull one of those and it's just like, for God's sake. I mean, you could see it coming for a million years and you still did it. So in this case, if they were to do it here, it wouldn't be cheap like that. And it's very possible because it's really, you, they're, they're identical. You can't tell who's who, but it's framed in a way that makes it very strongly seem like the original Lena gets away. I don't think we can no. know that. And I think something that happens mm-hmm. at the very, very end of the movie where during the embrace that she has with Kane when she goes in and she's able to go visit him. And also Kane like stabilizes the second the shimmer is destroyed, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I couldn't really figure out what that is. No,
0: I don't know. And also, you know, if uh, if it was like Shimmer version of Lena that did escape, I would think that that also might be destroyed by the Shimmer being destroyed, but mm-hmm. apparently mm-hmm. not, according to the idea that Kane is fine. But when she goes in and they have this embrace, you can see that her eyes are all shimmery still.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: hmm And I was like, Whoa. okay. What does this mean? Is- so it could mean what you just said, that it's actually Shimmerlina. It could mean that she's just permanently changed by her experience in there, and those weird shimmer cells are a part of her forever. But I thought, like, maybe that the shimmer would just kind of be eliminated as a concept because you see other facets of the environment sort of dis- become destroyed, Um.
1: Well, to be fair, the only things that we see explicitly is the lighthouse catches fire, yeah, the, the, trees. the 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 sand trees uh catch fire as well and they cut back to the base and they see that the shimmer just sort of gently fades away. Right. So, we don't know what else happened yeah. to the other structures that were there. No, we
0: don't. We don't. I just thought like maybe like the kind of the shimmer that is in all those living beings would be like, they might but still might be have the forms that they have, like the kind of chimera forms, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. continue to, like, prismatically react to everything anymore because the, but, like, catalyst is gone. But maybe that's... Yeah, there's
1: there's so little that you know about what that thing is. Totally, like, yeah. You can't make that No, assumption. you
0: can't. No, you can't. no I, but that's why that scene at the end really freaked me out. I did not know what was going to happen when they had that embrace. And mm-hmm. for actually, for a moment, I genuinely thought that there was a time lapse... Because they just cut to the outside of the little isolation chamber that Kane is in. And it has, like, tinted glass. And for the first time I saw that, I thought they were doing a, like, cut-to-night effect. Like, oh. like six hours had passed, and they were still embracing, like, weird robots. But it was just the door. Uh, but it was, was just the door. Blur. Yeah, and I was like, oh, when I watched the second time, I was like, oh, my, thank oh, goodness my. it was just the door. Because that was so freaky. Like, the other like the scientists would be like, time yeah, time. they've been hugging for seven hours. and are still <laughs> hugging. I don't know when they're going to stop. But... Yeah, it it did kind of it was a little scary it it, it creates this ambiguous ending in terms of not knowing what's going to come next. Not ambiguous, but more just like um it gives you a sense of foreboding about just the yeah. the mystery of what's to come. But So
1: yeah. let, let me give you another another take on that. So yeah. the question is, you know, the question <laughs> that you walk out of that scene with is is this the original Lena, is this the shimmer Lena, is this some new version of her? Yeah. Uh, is there a difference?
0: Is there a difference? Well, well, I find it pretty hard to believe that it could be just straight up original Lena because it was evident. No, no,
1: I So what I'm saying is assume any three of those things happen. Oh, 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 okay. In the end, is there In a the distinction end, well, it depends because those?
0: like uh, the uh, shimmer ver- the shimmer time. version of Kane that comes out is a pale imitation of original Kane. He doesn't really have full memories, but maybe they're getting better. He does recognize Lena. He recognizes what's important. So he seems to be keyed in to the critical aspects, which is that I know your face. And this, he seems to remember the bond and the love. But as like a person with a, a story and a full set of memories, he doesn't seem to be that. And he, he's very flat. Like he seems to be kind of all the peaks in his his demeanor have been sanded off and it's unclear if that will continue but otherwise I would mm-hmm. say no if it is a true full-fledged and kind of fleshed out mimic it probably doesn't make any difference I'm not that convinced was, that think, they are though they
1: are. <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean I so the movie's is very much you know things are up for interpretation because it doesn't and feed you what the answers are which I like yes um, but uh, my takeaway from that scene that that thought is one that I actually just kind of developed as I was saying it, but my takeaway for it was always um, sort of like the the Theseus ship sort of thing. Are you familiar oh, with yeah. that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, as she is in um, the Shimmer, she's realizing that her cells are changing from moment to moment, like she's becoming part of the Shimmer there. And so it seems like the question she's grappling with is like, am I the same person? Mm-hmm. And the classic philosophical argument, yeah. if yeah. you have a ship and you replace all the parts in the ship with new parts, is it still the same ship, or is it a new ship?
0: And in a number of ways, that really happens to us all the time, because our bones are remodeling with new mineral, Mm -hmm. all the components of our bodies are comprised of different matter than it was years ago, with the potential exception of maybe some aspects of some of our cells, but most of them, somehow, we retain this through-line of consciousness and of sense of self, despite not being made of the same stuff anymore after X number of years, or even less than years, depending on what structure it is in our bodies. That's really mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. And this is yeah. like a this is like amplifying that and accelerating it drastically, where the ramifications of that are higher and bigger, potentially, or at least more evident. And it's also happening really fast.
1: And that's... So it seemed like one of the things that the Shimmer was able to do is like, it's almost as if it is just uh an enhancer of different aspects of nature like it's able to uh make cells and structures cross uh in ways that it wouldn't in other situations and also seems to be able to uh reproduce cells at a much faster rate yeah. than you would under normal circumstances so you know while she's in there it seems like implicitly she's kind of thinking like you know i'm changing am i still the same person mm-hmm. Um and that last moment there when she doesn't answer Kane's question as to whether she's leaner or not. Mm-hmm. She's seems to she doesn't seem to be concerned by that question. Mm-hmm. She doesn't answer it, but it doesn't make her, you know, like seem to take in a serious thought as if she had already come to her conclusion. As if like, you know, she doesn't know what she is, but whatever she is is her.
0: Yeah. That is her that is and her. Maybe this Kane who knows that he's not really Cain, is Cain enough for her?
1: He's Cain enough. He's
0: Cain enough because he is imbued with that fundamental aspect of their relationship that she was so desperate to preserve.
1: And that was uh, the last thing that the other Kane said to him was, you know, if you get out of here, find Lena.
0: And that's exactly and what so he did. That, yeah. Maybe by teleportation. And
1: if, and if that's what happened to, like, he's a pale imitation but if he really did teleport to her, then he would have existed for like a minute or so before encountering her. So the fact that, you know, like he is seemingly confused and doesn't know uh, what to talk oh, about true. or what to say. Uh, yeah. It's not surprising for someone <laughs> who's existed for like 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair
1: enough. And you, you said you were saying that he was a pale imitation of his former self. And it's like, well, the the clone that it made of Lena. Was literally a pale imitation until it was able to develop her facial features. Right. So, like, is it just the case that uh, it needs more time to warm up to itself? Hmm. Uh, Very possibly. So,
0: it's got to get used to the new digs.
1: Yeah, it's got to be like, oh, Oscar Isaac, not so bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. good choice. Yeah. 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 Thus concludes sort of a this incredible movie. I mean, we we basically ended up doing like a a plot step through. It was interesting because. Aaron and I were contemplating how to tackle this movie prior to recording, and we thought we'd try to do the plot quick and get to the themes. But they're so integrated with all these things going on that I feel like this was a fine way of doing it. And I'm, you know, the
1: shimmer of the movie caused us to take all the different aspects that were in it and just cross them into each other. Exactly. So, so this yeah.
0: is part plot summary, part exploration of themes and science. And there's actually uh, several more things that I'd like to talk about. I know this episode is going to be super long, and what I might do is kind of break it into two parts when we release it and that is in fact exactly what i'm going to do so we'll catch you soon with episode two of annihilation featuring Aaron on unreal beasts